Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure if you can do this homeschool thing, if you are a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do, or if you are a homeschool mama looking for connection and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com, and I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey. So let's turn our homeschool challenges into our homeschool charms. This podcast episode is especially dedicated to our homeschool high school graduate, to our second daughter, Madeline Wiedrich. I hope that this podcast episode gives you a flavor of what it's like to chat with a homeschool high school kid. Now, having said that, you know what I know. Your children are not my children. In fact, your children, if you have more than one, are not all the same, and neither are mine. But today, I get to introduce you to one homeschool high school graduate that is unique all to herself. She's actually a very academic homeschool high school graduate guided in a self-directed learning context. I hope that not only does this episode give you an opportunity to really learn more about what it's like to be in a homeschool, high school kid's life, but also give you ideas to ponder what is an education for your child anyway. If we get to homeschool our kids, we do get to homeschool our kids the way we think they need to be homeschooled. So what is an education anyways? How do you want to homeschool your kids? I hope this podcast episode gives you food for thought. I raised my glass of celebratory Prosecco and I wished Madeline this. Behind you, all your memories. Before you, all your dreams. Around you, all who love you. Within you, all you need but I didn't make it out of those four sentences without a whole lot of tears. Are you familiar with the song? And it went like this. If you don't know, you can throw that into your TikTok or you can throw that into the Instagram Reels or Spotify and you'll find one of the most popular songs out there right now. Throw it on in the background while you listen to Madeline's life in summary. So it went like this. You were my Mother's Day surprise gift. You became Hannah's dolly. You learned ASL in kindergarten. You cracked an egg at age three. You gave us mooches every night. You learned how to sing, to draw, to paint, to dance, to play soccer, baseball, violin, piano, act, swim, cross-country ski, canoe, hike, play tennis, kayak, golf, snowshoe, create menu plans and grocery shop, and cook everything under the sun. You tented, you made a fire, you learned to drive, you filled in your taxes, you invested, saved, and spent, mostly saved. You sold lemonade, worked as a sous chef, worked as a baker's helper, hosted at a restaurant. You started a cooking blog, you were interviewed on a podcast, you were interviewed on a radio show, you were published in articles in the Schoolhouse magazine, you were the chef, On a YouTube channel, you ran a 12K race three times. You designed a house, you broke a leg. You read a bunch of books, a lot of books. 
You delved deep into biology and chemistry and history. You did a lot of experiments. You injected bananas. You sutured bananas. You ate bananas. You swabbed a household for bacterial cultures. You raised baby chicks and painted butterflies, two kittens, and a great Pyrenees puppy. You dissected a lobster, a fish, a frog, a worm. <laughs> you write essays and you researched papers. You had tea and read poetry. You listened to classical music and you learned about the orchestra. You played at festival. You visited Vancouver with me on your 13th birthday. You visited Toronto in a dance intensive on your 16th summer. You've watched Taylor Swift and Selena Gomez in concert. You kissed a giraffe in Africa. You swam on a dolphin in Jamaica. You met Belle at Disneyland. You watched a surgery in the operating room. You did rounds with a medical doctor in the actual hospital. You survived a pandemic a waterborne illness in Africa. You dodged malaria, cholera, Ebola, and COVID. You traveled to the Arctic, to Kenya, to Ghana, to Italy, to Disney World, to Disneyland, to New York City, to Chicago, to London, to Paris, to Amsterdam, Bruges, Ypres, and the state of Georgia and Washington. You quit school at six. You started college at 16. We have been so happy to have been a daily part of your first 18 years, and now your next step, ballet school. You were meant to go. So I say in the words of Henry David Thoreau, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. As you can imagine, the homeschool high school graduation is filled with fun, family, and tears. Mostly the tears for me. As part of my dedication to Madeline at her commencement ceremony, I shared these quotes. I'm a quote lover. And in the words of Nelson Mandela, there is no passion to be found in playing small, in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. I say that to my 18-year-old, I say that to you, and I say that to me. And in the words of Mark Twain, we all will appreciate this thought. I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. This is a remarkably accurate statement reflecting my second daughter, Madeline's education. So, presenting our homeschool, high school graduate, and class of 2021 valedictorian in our homeschool, Madeline Wietrich. I'm in my closet downstairs. You're in your room upstairs. And uh, this will probably be my hardest interview. <laughs> I'm not supposed to cry yet. <laughs> because I planned this interview in honor of your graduation. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Okay. Like one hour of my mother trying not to cry. <laughs> this to me is, you know, when you're in one of those moments, though, when you know that this is going to be a moment in your life, <clears throat> that's this. I am so honored to have known you. And in brackets, we can use this for your funeral later. <laughs> 
I will, I will, I will try to stop. The tears weren't supposed to come quite that quickly. <laughs> this is, this is really special. Yes, I will breathe. <laughs> so this is a really special opportunity to get to know both for the listeners, someone that has homeschooled from grade one to grade 12 and is my second daughter, Madeline, who is 18 and is about to leave to Toronto in 81 days. 78. Okay. <laughs> so randomly numbers started showing up on the fridge attached to magnets a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, because dad said you should do it and I did it for you because you weren't going to do it. <laughs> just, just to like ground me in the reality that this is indeed happening or what's the good reason for this? I don't know. I don't really know. Okay. Good camping. Well, I am this weird mix of crazy excited for you, your thing, and this crazy mix of don't go. (laughs) And though you might not quite appreciate that, I know that most listeners that have had kids that are at this point will definitely feel that. I heard someone say once that it's very much like, giving birth another time and since I know that experience because I have my University of Ottawa shirt on and I remember pretty intense moments sending Hannah off into the world and it was not easy and that is my experience too here with you but I am so honored to know you but I know you so it's time that I get into this interview and let other people get to know you too (laughs) So I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago and she asked me at the end of our chat, what are you going to have for dinner? And I'm like, I-, I don't know. What should I have for dinner? And then I asked you, what am I going to have for dinner? Like, what, what should I make for dinner? Just tell me and I will make it while you go to ballet and I'll just make it and it'll be ready when everybody's ready. Because I'm so accustomed to you making dinner these days that it is possible I will be very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> You're an expert cook and you started, I think you started making bread when we were in the Arctic, when we went up to Inuvik for a summer. You, of course, do remember bringing the, I think it was an MP3 player to Kenya and it had a bunch of already downloaded cooking videos. What were you learning to make way back then and how old were you? I don't know how old I was, yet little. I I loved the MP3 player. I think Hannah and Rachel liked it just as much as I did, though. We have a bunch of favorite videos. A lot of pastry stuff, brownies, um, eclairs, I think, were one of them. A lot of pâte de choux, which I, at that time, I didn't even know what that was. Those were just so interesting to watch. They were, especially because it was a whole new world. There was no television. There was just rural Africa. It was a whole different experience. So would you say your cooking career started there? Started in my MP3, right? Yes. Right alongside Chuggington. (laughs) So you've been cooking everything. And you even decided at one point to start a blog to start cooking alongside the French cook, Julia Child, her book, The Art of French Cooking, and yeah. that's still on the internet somewhere. Tell me about the origins of that that blog and that cooking adventure. Well, we, we I think we started watching that movie 
um, Julia and Julia, which to this day, I really, really enjoy. And, um, and then I think I asked for that cooking book, which is huge. The thing is, is huge. for Christmas. And then I was like, okay, well, if I have it, I should work through it. I didn't actually end up making it through it. I think we made like five or six soups, some of them, which were a little intriguing, you know, fish soup isn't my go-to, but it was kind of interesting. Yeah. You, you made it through, I think, until the gelatinous stuff. Something like that. Yeah. You had a real passion for cooking and your first job was chopping vegetables as at a vegetarian restaurant, or was it your catering job with dad's work? Uh, it started with the catering and then it was chopping vegetables for uh, gift cards to that place. That place had amazing food. Um, and then like going to, to bakeries and stuff like that. Yeah. You worked in a bakery too. Your first job was probably a lemonade stand, if I remember correctly, as per usual for every North American family. <laughs> and then and then you started this catering business. And what did you call it? Oh my goodness, what did I call it? A crave. Crave. I spent an extensive amount of time online looking at different words and whatnot that could have been to that name. And you and dad got up at five in the morning Fridays once a month and created pretty you after a while you created a fairly routine menu do you remember what it was most of the time it was either scones muffins and then it's a bit of a funny story behind this one but at one point I think one of my muffin recipes failed so dad was like okay what are we gonna make and then we ended up doing these egg cups in in a sliced ham and like cooked in the oven and then everyone kind of at 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 the meetings enjoyed it so we ended up being a something we did regularly definitely was a favorite and so you actually had capital costs involved in that and I think you were were you eight at the time maybe nine something like that yeah and so you had a giant coffee craft are you bringing it to college uh probably not it doesn't make the best coffee (laughs) No. And also you don't drink coffee right now. So there's that too. So you did that. And then you worked at the vegetarian restaurant. You moved over to the bakery and learned how to make really delicious tarts or so I was told because your employer told me you were her best tart maker. And now to this day, those are by far my favorite tarts. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, those tarts were actually really, really intense to roll. So we benefited from your cooking and your baking for all these years. And at one point, you actually thought about maybe doing some baking or cooking as a restaurant owner or a chef, maybe going down that path. That was one of the thoughts that you considered doing after graduation. A mixture of that and going into obstetrics. But then when I worked at the bakery for a day a week, it just felt so like so much repetition, but I kind of was something I didn't like because it was like every single morning you have to wake up to do the exact same thing every single day. Okay. So you just said the word obstetrics, a grade 12 kid says the word of this is what she wants to do going to obstetrics. Tell me why, why obstetrics? What got you into that area of interest? I honestly, I don't really know. I think probably it's spurred from dad um, that he was in the medical field. And then I was like, oh, it'd be pretty cool. And then I think I remember once like thinking about like, okay, where would I, what would I do? I don't, I've never really been into surgery. Like I know obstetrics has a little bit of it, but not as like a major um, field. Also never really enjoyed children. Don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just, if they're not mine, then I don't know. I just find them annoying. Um, 
And so then I guess I landed on obstetrics and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then for a while there, I was reading dad's books, um, his large obstetrics books, which are pretty hefty to get through. Um, they are. Yeah. So probably spurred from him and the fact that he's in medicine. There is not a question that doesn't get answered by dad about medical related stuff. And around our table, he will talk all about the different procedures and how things are done. In fact, what do you remember him bringing home? Like a suture kit, he's brought home an LP kit or a lumbar puncture kit, which obviously we didn't use as an experiment, but he's, <laughs> he's brought all sorts of things home to show you guys how they do different things. What do you remember? Uh, a lot of sutures. Um, at one point we got forceps and um, whatnot. And like, he would show me how to do like sutures and like ties, surgery ties. That was really fun. Um, I think just recently I got an anesthetic kit. I don't know if that's what you call it. Um, so it had like all the needles and like the, the gauze and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool. And you pretty much asked him every question known to a baby delivering physician. He's not, a, he's not an obstetrician, but he is a family physician that did obstetrics for many years. And so you've asked him all sorts of questions over the years. And I, in my labor and delivery training, I had six month practicum in my nursing school. I obviously got a lot of exposure, but I must say you got almost as much exposure minus the real world <laughs> standing beside a patient and actually doing assessments. Mm-hmm. So what about obstetrics actually made you say, yeah, that sounds like a cool thing to do? Well, that's an intense one. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever really had something that was like, oh, I like it because of, I guess it was just always there. I like, I don't want to say something like, oh, I enjoy helping people because I'm not really sure that's where it's spurred from. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, again, ironically, happy. you're a very good helper. I'm just all like always around medicine stuff okay so so you had this interest in obstetrics and you have held that pretty much from I don't know 12 maybe or maybe even earlier 10 I have it written down in a book of mine every single year I write down like what I wanted to do career-wise but you actually had a few really cool experiences alongside dad in rural Kenya and rural Ghana, where you got to go into pediatric rounds and he was often treating um, really young children or babies with malaria. We were in Kenya and you got to go on the male medical ward. I remember that each of you got to take a turn in the operating room with him because he also does anesthetics. What do you remember from those days? I remember being so excited. Because dad was like, we'd all have our own day. And he'd be like, okay, I'm going to come pick you up at whatever time. And I think the one surgery that I got to go in on was a little boy who was getting his, um, I think it was his, one of his arm bones, radius or all, I'm not really sure which one. Um, um, he was getting it placed again because he broke it something. So that was kind of fun. It was really interesting to watch. Like you wouldn't be able to do any of this here, but we got to go in and watch the surgery. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that is absolutely not something that would be allowed here. And in all of the safety precautions were maintained in the wire when we were there, but it was something that we were told we could, we could give you as an opportunity. And so you got to actually truly go to work with dad day in a whole different way than you've ever done before. Yeah. Clearly you can see from his lifestyle that it is a lot of work. 
it's a lot of academic work to get that to that point. You obviously weren't around at that point, but you, I remember thinking way back in the day that after his residency was over, he was going to like slow down and it was going to be more quiet. (laughs) Anywho, it was solidly for another 10, 15 years it turned up, it got a whole bunch more busy. So you can see how demanding that lifestyle was besides the fact that he's been perpetually sleep deprived for, I don't know, since 1998. <laughs> so what do you think about the lifestyle? No, I like it. It probably one of the things that made me um, go towards it. Um, very, very busy. I always thought to myself, oh, I probably would want to um, compile it with some other obstetricians because I know you can do like obstetric groups and stuff like that um, so that you're not like always on call for the same like four ladies or something um, I knew that I'd have to move to a larger city as well because like I wouldn't want to be in like a small city and um, do obstetrics because then there's like not that many babies to deliver um, but it, overall it was a it's a lovely lifestyle it's very tiring and challenging so that was Like, I always like things that are challenging, I think. Yeah, you do. And I've seen you in your academics and uh, in whether it's math or it's history or it's a writing course or it's your sciences, you've always applied yourself really well. And I might have given you a few cues as I have given all of you um, how to schedule because I naturally am a scheduler, but you also have it, I think, natural inside of you. And you're very academically focused, you are consistent, and you work really hard. Tell me about your, your three science courses. You did a chemistry, an apology, a chemistry course, an apology, a biology course, and an apology, a physics course. And all of those courses I found are solid science courses. What was your experience with them? I really enjoyed them. I also had a physical science course that I did. So that was right. four worth of um, sciences. I really enjoyed the physical science one. It's kind of like a more overview of sciences. So you get like environmental stuff, rocks, you know, it's something you do when you're a little younger. And then I went into chemistry. Overall, chemistry was my favorite. I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's just like the balancing stuff. Um, chemistry has math in it, but I think I liked it because it wasn't super, super mathy. Because then, like, the next year I did physics. Physics has a lot more math. Like, everyone knows that. It's just a little bit more challenging, a lot more calculator-based. Um, um, so I enjoyed physics as well. It's just a little more hard. <clears throat> and then just this past year, or actually, I guess I just finished it, um, I did biology. Looking back, biology isn't super, super my thing. Not like, like biology of the body is probably a little bit more my thing than biology of like animals mm-hmm. and like the classifications because those things are just long. You know, it's funny because actually, um, you know, I have two thoughts right now. One is that I really want to hear about how you actually would speak to other homeschool families, uh, homeschool moms that 
are concerned about bringing their kid into high school and thinking this is going to be way too much work. And actually my experience, I would love to hear yours, is that, yeah, there is a different kind of approach. There's a kind of a booting up of homeschooling. You're making a commitment to a child to help them get through an aspect of their education that would appear to be a little bit more challenging, or maybe there's more hoops to jump. But in our experience, you actually took the reins of that and you really went hard in into academic paths. So it was actually really easy for us to engage because you're naturally academic. And also you really, I don't know, you just really sort of loved learning is what it looked like to me. What would you say? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed learning. Um, I think it really just came down to, I was interested in getting it done. And if, if you're genuinely not wanting to do it, you won't, you'll find a way not to do it. But I, I liked it. Um, I really liked science. I still do. I really do enjoy science. Um, even in my science courses that I didn't 100% like, I still ended up getting them done. Probably because I really enjoy schedules. Um, like deadlines, like, oh, I have to get this done. And also kind of the feeling of being busy. Yes. You know, I have to get this done now and that later and this before that. Which and is that fun. is inborn because I have kids that are also not like that. <laughs> we are all very different. And so then it's your natural tendency to do that. And you actually do meet the deadlines. Now, when I look way back, though, um, when uh, Hannah was in kindergarten and I would drive her back and forth to kindergarten and I'd have my, you know, Rachel was a baby and I would have to wake her up to go to kindergarten and pick up Hannah. And the school was lovely, but it just seemed like such a hassle to wake up a baby. But also I had this giant cupboard in my kitchen that was devoted to all of your learning things. And you actually had a book in there, a sticker book all about undersea creatures. And I, there was a lot of stuff in that that cupboard. And we would sit down for an hour and we would just do different things like that together. And I just thought to myself, okay, why am I going to kindergarten to drive to kindergarten to pick up Hannah when I could be doing the same stuff at home with you guys? So I, two thoughts. One, you went from kindergarten to college. You have taken a couple of college courses and never went to a classroom after your kindergarten year. What was that like? Oh, I'm not even sure how to speak onto this one because I'm, I, I, you're right. I've never been to school. Like Rachel showed me around. My younger sister showed me around um, her school. And it's like, I've never been to a high school, really. I've never sat down in the classroom um except at college except at college true I feel like it's it's a pretty different though yeah with why people caring but technically still in my college I, there's a bunch of kids who didn't really care a lot of people who wouldn't show up but um I didn't find it that different probably because I wanted to go and I wanted to go experience these classes so I just went with just you know, the hopes of getting a little bit more academically focused. So you went into an English course, a first level English course. And I so wanted to walk you down the hallways to the room. Okay, so that didn't fit. How did you feel about that? (laughs) I feel like it's also a little different because I was going into a college where I didn't know anybody. And I feel like when you don't know anybody, there's no pressure. There's just like, oh, cool. They're not going to care who I am because I don't care who they are. 
the first day went well. The only thing I didn't enjoy, and that was probably a bit of a shock, was the whole, like, thinking on my feet kind of, because first off, I'm not super extroverted, but, um, like, in classrooms, well, they will kind of put you on the spot and be like, hey, now you have to say something, or you have to, like, um, group up with people, and I'm like, group up with who? Because I don't know anybody, so... So you found that, okay, you must have been the youngest kid in the class, obviously. Yes, yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yet you were routinely doing the work and you found that everybody wasn't always doing the work or so it appeared? Uh, yeah, well, no, there was a lot of girls in my class. One girl in particular who I don't even remember her name, but um, she reminded me of me actually, very focused, wanted to um, get things done. She was going into like a child care uh, it really depended on the person. There was there was a lot of people in there who maybe didn't care as much. Um, I think I read this essay in that class in particular of a lady who was like, I think everyone that goes to college should pay for their college fees on their own just so that you have a bunch of people who really um, want to be there and they're not just there because someone else is giving the money. It, it was interesting to see how there was like a couple people who you're like, okay, they don't really want to be there. Even the teacher knows they don't really want to be there. And then you have the people that care a little bit more. That wasn't too shocking because I think people mostly expect that. The next semester, you took a course in history, Canadian history at the same college. And maybe a year, two years before you had taken an informal history course with dad and dad's one of dad's passions is history. And so what was your experience, you know, going from dad's Canadian history course to history course in college? It wasn't too different. It was like a lot more work in a way because we had like this huge textbook that we had to read and it was pretty intense to get through every single week and also having to parse out like what information that they wanted you to remember. You sound like an academic kid. I know you as an academic kid. And the wild thing is that we are very self-directed learning. Some people have described us as child-directed or unschooling. And I always go back to, huh, I guess so, kind of, because obviously dad and I have ideas of how we also want to share certain things with you and make sure you know about something. So I don't know that we truly qualify as that but I just for anyone listening being an unschooler or being a self-directed learner doesn't mean that you can't do very academic focused things yeah no true I think it also depends on the person if you're interested in it you know I know Rachel doesn't really like fall into the category of loving that type of thing and if you don't love it you won't do it so it's almost not even a choice you know you'll do it if you want to and you won't if you don't want to. You know, we definitely didn't start in that uh, philosophy, though, because I don't know if you remember this, but we actually had three separate read alouds in a day, an hour in the morning, an hour after lunch, and an hour before bed. And we did a lot of reading. <laughs> yeah. A lot of reading, but you know what we did most of? Transcribing. <laughs> Sitting in a paper when I was like seven, and you were like, okay, now you're going to write down. And he's like, like literally just stare at a book, write down everything the book said. Just <laughs> Well, what I remember, I remember reading and expecting to do the Charlotte Mason thing. You probably don't even, I don't even know if you know that this is a Charlotte Mason homeschool philosophy, but she's a, like, she's a leader of a 
educational philosophy that really taught um, well, many things. But anyways, back in the day, she said, what you want to do is figure out if the child knows something and you know that the child knows it if they can write it themselves, or if they can return it back to you in um, a verbal discussion. And so we would read for an hour. And then you and Hannah, your older sister would sit and write a page narrative of everything that you just heard. And Whoa. yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that one. That's intense. That's good. That's good. So that was solidly between six and I don't know, you must have been six and nine years old when I was doing that. Needless to say, that was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. We've shifted gears. In fact, we shifted gears profoundly when I realized this was really not working for Hannah. So I took her to a Starbucks, sat her down and I said, I want you to know, I've been reading about unschooling. John Taylor Gatto, John Holt, we've decided to stop everything altogether and you will never have to do school again. And Except that y'all got bored like within six months. Well, I should say at least the three of you got bored and it just felt like there needed to be a little bit more routine than nothing. Yeah. And then we did a routine. So we did a lot of traveling too. And like, that's, that's one of the benefits of homeschooling, but it certainly was one of our focus um, right off the top is the freedom to be able to go do some traveling. And you're one of the kids that actually would remember some of that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the memories that you have, because we've been, you know, what I felt like the most remote area was actually going into the Arctic. We drove in a minivan with our four little kids, 3,500 kilometers up to the Arctic Ocean. That was pretty remote. We took a giant drive to a major airport to fly across the country, to fly into Europe, to fly into Africa, to fly into another African city, and then take a four-hour drive into a rural town in Africa. And we did that twice in Kenya and in Ghana. I think those are the most significant trips that we've taken. What do you remember about it? What do I remember? I remember you'd always do geography based on where we were going. Yeah, totally. We did. <laughs> we did um, a lot of African geography when we went to Africa. I think we stopped most of our formal studies because that's like a lot of book books to bring on a, a plane. But it kind of made up for the, for the lack of math with our... Uh, lovely amount of geography you know I still brought the um flashcards the multiplication flashcards I would sit on the bed and I would actually do flashcards with all of you even Zach and man he was like he was what a year and a half when we were in Kenya but that kid he was always just a natural mental math a year and a half he must have been three no he was three <laughs> yeah I'm like okay he, he won chess games with me at one and a half <laughs> no he, he wasn't he wasn't doing multiplication flashcards at, at one and a half but three three is still young and you yeah. each took your turns so what do you remember about being in the arctic or being in africa the arctic was sunny too sunny I could never fall asleep <laughs> like that's a big one <laughs> um and really cold I remember being at cold in the middle of summer yeah middle of summer yeah like insanely sunny the light wouldn't go out down until like four o'clock in the morning which is really hard to sleep and there was a lot of colorful houses not <laughs> to be bland but do you remember us flying up to tech to tech yes and we visited the the caves and saw expensive milk 
Yeah, that's right. How much? It was $20 for four liters of milk. And that's on transportation costs. Yeah, mostly transportation costs. And I think I bought a chocolate bar that was very pricey, like $4 or something. And it tasted like it was probably a year old sitting on the shelves for a year. But then we flew in Cessna over what looked like Swiss cheese. What were they called? Pingus. There were like these little puddles is what it looked like from the Cessna. What beautiful views. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Dad was delivering a baby somewhere. I believe that's why he didn't come. And we flew in what I remember as a helicopter over like some icy I want to say grassland, but it's not a grassland. Um, so ice, ice was everywhere and it was beautiful. I can remember being really, really scared on that that helicopter flight because you could hear all the ticking of the. Yeah, it was a Cessna. It was actually a small plane, but yeah, it was pretty tiny. So small. You were looking out one window. Hannah was looking out one window, and you were each counting all the pingus, which are like they look kind of like they are miniature volcanoes but you know it was really different and I didn't see one igloo the entire summer that we were there there was no igloos but we did see a lot of smarty colored houses we saw a giant greenhouse in a hockey rink that grew vegetables faster than we ever could because that was the land of the midnight sun and we touched the arctic ocean we grabbed some pebbles I took a photo of that actually of the three of you know, the three girls and I, and we went down into caves. Yes. The, what was that? An ice cave? I don't even remember what it was. They kept ice blocks and they kept whales, um, like slaughtered whales that they used in the community. In fact, we actually saw the belugas that they would catch would be um, hunted in this one inlet. And we were explained that they used everything from each of the whales and shared it amongst the community. It was a remarkable day in the Arctic. Having been to Africa and traveling all that way, you would think that actually it felt more remote in Africa because of our stereotypes about it or our assumptions about it, but actually felt way more remote in the Arctic because there were not as many people. A lot of trees, not as many people. And in Africa, there were people everywhere. What was your experience of Africa? Or Ghana or Kenya, because Africa is not a country. I can remember being really, really young in Kenya, so I don't know how much I remember from that time. But I remember we had a cook, because they were always trying to um, give work to the people there. Um, And I can remember disliking this cook, because she was taking my job. And that's the only thing I had to do, was to cook, and I had to give it over to this lady. Which, like, no hate to that lady, because she did a lovely job cooking. I can remember... Um, the flour there, you had to be very specific which flour you got, because if you got the wrong flour, it tastes like corn. And I can remember making brownies out of that, and they were not good. No. And do you remember how we started the oven? <laughs> yes! With the the match. And yeah. you'd like flail yourself away from it so you didn't burn yourself. Yeah, we turned on the gas. There was a natural gas tank right beside the oven. We would turn it on we would wait until there was a little blue flame. Then we'd open the door, throw a match in and poof, the oven would start. I cannot tell you how terrifying that was. I can still smell that. That's so weird. Like I genuinely can smell it right now. 
you know, the first time when we were in Kenya, I remember you getting sick. You got really sick. It must have been a waterborne illness of some sort because we were well vaccinated both times that we went. And uh, and then the second time I got malaria when we were in um, Ghana. But man, do we have stories there? I mean, you actually took a field trip to one of the most unusual places in the world for you guys at that time. It was a school. We went all the way to rural Africa <laughs> and then took a field trip to a school. People welcomed us like welcomed us with Fanta Pops and just opened up their schedule for us just to sit and hang out with us and sing us songs and hang out together. It was super, super cool. It was amazing. So social there. I remember the lollipops too. Those things were delicious. Yes, we drank a lot of pop and lollipops. Yeah, not a lot of sugar in anything that we ate. It was very clean eating. And when we came back, do you remember going to the grocery store? <laughs> we fell in love with cheese. I think we actually do have a photo. Photo of me, Hannah and Rachel, like all like standing around cheese. And I loved cheese back <laughs> You know, yesterday we went to the grocery store and had an experience too. I remember the first time I went into a Kenyan grocery store and thinking, whoa, I do not know how to shop. It was on a Mother's Day and it was it was overwhelming. Then I remember us coming back after our couple months in Kenya and going into a superstore and saying, whoa, there is so much selection and where's the cheddar? And then yesterday we went into a grocery store because we've been online shopping all year and you and I turned the curve to the aisle with the ketchup and the mustard and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, whoa, there are way too many options here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was truly overwhelmed in the grocery store. You're standing there and like, okay, there's 15 ketchups. Which one do I buy? And then and I'm going to have to go back to online shopping. Online shopping was such a benefit from this last year. I remember also that you had said to me that you're actually glad that there weren't as many extracurriculars at a certain point of this year. And so then life shifted and it got maybe a little bit more real. But as with everybody, this year has been really hard. I would love to hear your experience as a teenager, especially somebody that's expecting to leave in the following year what it's like to be a teenager in COVID I want to say that it feels different but it doesn't probably it's been two years since I know whatever that reality was and now we're living in in a reality that's just reality you know what I mean it's just where we're at like you know that's completely because honestly right now I'm like I can't think back to a time where masks were a thing. You know, I can remember being in in um, airports and you see um, people from foreign countries wearing masks because that's kind of what they do. But you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. But now it's just you do it. You don't forget it. Um, so I guess it just feels like a reality. There was a, a point in time where like all my work and stuff was was at home for, I guess, a lot of us. And so that that is challenging because then you have to um, section your life in like you're, you're, you're at home, but you're working, but where you're working is also where you're living. And those two things kind of just meld together and it's a little intense. So what it was really interesting this year is that you, I haven't really brought this up yet. You are a dancer and this is what you do. This is where you're going for the next couple of years. 
And you have a place downstairs that we actually created a dance studio. We've got a bar and we got, you know, we, we actually created a bar and there's a place for your music or for, you know, for you to set up your Zoom links. And um, you've got a mat that's ideal for dancing and a big, nice, bright window. It is not a dance studio like you're accustomed to. You don't have the kind of space that you would normally have for that kind of thing. You don't get to be right beside each other in a dance class. So there's a disadvantage there. You don't get the energy of being with other people. And also, yet you, you were still able to continue dancing all year long. And you did a lot of dancing. So what was your experience shifting from that to what it is, you know, what it's been? I mean, you've returned to the studio now, but for the time, the very significant time that you weren't doing that, what was it like? Challenging. I think um, whenever anything shifts, it is more challenging. Um, The biggest one was um, Wi-Fi. Like a lot of the times Zoom would cut in and out. Um, Another one is motivation yeah like and also I'm not really preparing myself because a lot of the time I enjoy driving into town just because it it kind of preps me you know I'm like okay this is going to be a thing for the next couple hours but when you're you know at home you're literally just going from okay I'm gonna go do math and then you're like oh crap I have to be on zoom in two minutes and then you're yeah you don't get all this preparation stuff but um one thing I did notice is when I go from zoom into the studio I just feel like I've improved so much because I'm, it's very focused on yourself. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause sometimes when this, at least something I've learned about myself is when I'm around people, I do a little bit more outward thinking. And when I'm on my own, I do a little bit more inward stuff. And so I can end up working a little harder. So this year, I've heard you share that you found it more challenging to be motivated compared to the last couple years. Yes, that is so true. <laughs> Motivation's a funny thing. I haven't cracked the code yet. Yes, I just said everybody. <laughs> and I've encouraged you that like that energy is everybody's. Everybody has had some sort of challenge in that. Yeah. You know what? I think one of the things was when I go onto Zoom, I'm like, okay, this is going to be an era of time where I'm doing this all at home. I need to improve. I need to work. I need to work harder. And, and the work harder tends to go like, okay, you know, you start out and you're like, okay, I have all this motivation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work really hard. You know, after three days, you're like, "Eh, a little, this is a little too much. And that's probably where I felt like my motivation was draining because I was pushing myself to do something a little bit more than I did before. And then I'd have to like go back, recuperate and then do it again. And I kind of fell into this pattern. You had an extensive um, athletic schedule. You were either doing yoga or Pilates or uh, rolling out your IT bands, massaging (laughs) essentially, uh, but hardcore massaging, highly don't recommend it. It's very painful. And also a ton of dance. Would you share just a little bit what your schedule has been like? Yeah. So last summer I was part of an intensive for four weeks, um, which I'm doing this week as this year again. Um, And that was kind of like 40 hours a week. Which is a lot. So it's like getting your body ready every single morning, starting at like nine, you do a little bit of strength training, and then you go into usually a ballet class. 
and then um, some type of point work, um, a lot of coaching stuff. I think we had a modern or jazz class most days, then either yoga and Pilates at night. Um, I loved my Pilates instructor. She is um, someone who will make you burn. I'm not even yeah. lying. <laughs> like, she is a new level of burn. Oh, fun. He's like, okay, you know, there's 30 of you. Anyone comes out of this pose, you know, we're going to do it for another seven minutes. You know, and then someone messes up and you're like, goodness, goodness, why did you do that? (laughs) But the strength you get from that stuff, that's insane. Yeah, I remember you inviting me to the Pilates, like, 30-day challenge. And I'm like, ah. (laughs) Oh, that was my Christmas. That was my Christmas like you know like the, the 12 days of Christmas no it was my 12 days of Pilates <laughs> okay whereas I'm over there eating my Martha Stewart lemon bars and going I'm sorry I'm busy right now <laughs> that's a good one too <laughs> and I probably should be joining you since this podcast is known as homeschool mama self-care but I don't want to make it you know the rest of the homeschool mom world feel like I'm expecting high unrealistic expectations so I think I won't take that on myself you take the other route of self-care Love me yes be gracious with yourself yeah <laughs> so you took a, a trip to ballet school a couple of summers ago then with COVID it was canceled this year you're not going to ballet school or you're not going to the intensive at the ballet school during the summer, but you're going to be heading to Toronto in 78 days. How does that feel? Weird. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I found out that uh, we're not doing roommates at my residence, so I'm going to get my own little thing all to myself, which I'm actually kind of excited about. (laughs) I bet you are. I love the planning aspect of it. I've already created my extensive packing list, so we're starting to like start doing that um it's weird I don't know I haven't really thought of it yet you know it's just it's it's what's coming up um it's gonna be different being and Hannah's gonna be three three hours away from me so it's not like I'm completely alone but um it's gonna be weird you know the impact though the the presence that you've had in relationship with siblings some days and you know this I can feel frustrated that why are people fighting why is there conflict? And yet I share this with homeschool moms that we are around y'all for a long time and a really solid amount of time that sometimes we expect you to adultify faster and just, you know, take on all the characteristics of things that we think of as you're an adult, do the thing, even though, you know, obviously you are an adult, but everyone else isn't necessarily and everybody's still growing and learning so there are times where I definitely feel like my expectations are highly unrealistic, which we all know in this household is true. And also there has been such an incredible opportunity for siblings to connect with siblings. And I remember one of the first photos that I took of you, <laughs> did I just say that out loud, that I took of you teaching Ma- uh, Rachel Matthew C, a Matthew C lesson. And mm-hmm so many different moments with Zach this last year. I'm really taking note and, you know, you can play with him. You can teach him your math, even though that's probably not really quite his level. He can almost handle it though. At 12, he's pretty smart. He likes watching it. Even Steve sometimes out of the book this morning. Really? Yeah. The instructor on my, uh, my uh, math video, I've gotten to a math level where he, he even doesn't even know what he's doing. 
So it's not problematic. (laughs) So, you know, but the relationship that you fostered with your siblings at home is one of the most special things that I've seen in homeschooling is that you can play with kids Zach's age or younger, younger kids even. And at the same time, you're able to take the car and go for a drive to town and you can, you know, if you needed to, you could buy a list of groceries or you can do all sorts of things around the house. You can, there are so many skills that you've learned in the real world that I just assume, well, of course you can do that. No big deal. And that is the biggest part. I think one of the biggest things that I, I, I see as an advantage of homeschooling is that the relationships you're creating with your siblings is so, so connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's been amazing. So tell me something. There are so many people, though, that haven't homeschooled or aren't in the homeschool world that aren't familiar with it. And uh, you've heard a few wacky questions throughout your days. Goofiest goofiest question that people have asked you about homeschooling. Well, we, we, um, we get the socialization one a lot. I think there's aspects of it that I understand why people ask it. Um no, I'm not locked in my room every single day. Um, but, <laughs> but, but there isn't an aspect that I'm not around children all the time. So sometimes that means that I don't have as many acquaintances as other people do. Um, a lot of people I know do do extracurriculars. So like, that's not a problem. That's the one question that comes to mind. I know for a while there, for some reason, it always would be in grocery lineups where the the lady would ask you, you know, oh, how are you not in school? For a while there, I'd be like super proud and be like, yeah, I don't know, I'm homeschool. Like, this is the stuff, you know, (laughs) Um, that's why I'm not here. After a while, I was just like, okay, I've been asked this like 400 times. I'd just be like, yeah, school's not in right now or whatever, like. It wouldn't be a real lie, but it would just be like, yeah, I don't really want to go down this path right now. Yeah, 100%. I get that. It's funny how people have different ideas of what it's like to be homeschooling. And you are one of many homeschoolers. And, uh, you know, in our area, we don't actually have a lot of homeschool high schoolers. There are a lot of people homeschooling, mostly unschooling. But in the greater world, there's a lot of homeschool high schoolers. There are a lot of people out there that are doing this just like you are. You got asked one time. Maybe you should be in school so that you can do more lab experiments for your science classes. It always depends on how people ask these things. So, yeah, I had an experience um, with this one person that I know um, who's like, oh, you know, if you're in school, you can do all these labs. And I know that schools, they do labs. They do labs for um, for biology. But then she she goes on to explain the lab, which I have never done. But um, it was something about like throwing flour at some flame and watching how it burned or something. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. And no shade to her, but um, I was just like, huh, that's that's intriguing. It's it's usually just how they pose the question. You know, if you're genuinely curious about things or you're like, oh, would you like to do that? I'm like, I don't know. 
It was really challenging for me when Hannah said she wanted to go to school because I identified myself as a homeschool mom. I see all the benefits to this. I think, but this is the best thing ever. What are you talking about? You want to go to school. And so it didn't help that there aren't a lot of high schoolers that actually already homeschool here, but it took a long time for her to get me convinced that maybe I should let her do this. And it actually was one of the homeschool moms that was um, a high school homeschooler way back in the day. And she went to high school and realized it wasn't about academics. It wasn't about, you know, that it was more about recognizing that she was getting independent and she wanted to go do her own thing on her own terms and live her own big grand adventure. And homeschooling is my big grand adventure. And I remember, you know, Hannah decided to go to school then and this last year Rachel has gone to grade 10 her first school experience ever and then you at one point said to me listen I'm choosing to homeschool high school because I want to do it do you remember that I don't remember that specific instance but I do remember thinking about it I was like okay I'm gonna go to school am I going to go to school and I was like I think it just came down to it worked for me. Right. It was working for me. And I didn't see a lot of point in switching something that worked for me. I think if you were to ask me right now, I am at a place where I feel like I want to do something maybe around more people or yeah. something. But for a while there, no, it was just like, well, this is working for me. I don't see why I could change it. And um, I instead just decided to do some college courses, which also helped in that way. What I didn't know early on as a parent was that kids grow up and they have opinions and mm -hmm. they have ideas about their own lives. They have their own vision that sometimes they push back merely because they're pushing back for the sake of being different from us. And it's not necessarily, though it sometimes isn't necessarily about what it is that we think. It's just who else are they going to push back against to establish their independence? And I've learned to let that go a little bit. Mm -hmm. So then I could see that Hannah's choice or Rachel's choice or your choice to do things the way you were doing them was exactly what you just said, because it was working for you. It absolutely has not been easy every step of the way to accept that I have to back off and let you decide how you're going to do that. That's actually, that's been really hard to do that as it is really hard to let you go and do your big adventure this fall and I'm a hundred percent behind you and hundred percent excited and a hundred percent sad all at the same time, but it is going to be a big grand adventure and I'm super excited for you. Uh, me too. So tell me when you first started to dance. Uh, well, you put me into class um, in Kamloops. Um, I remember being three, but like recently we've been talking and I've been seeing photos and now I'm starting to think I'm six. So it was earlier. Yeah, those were the days where I thought you had to do violin, even though you were probably four or five when you started, maybe even younger. But and then you also had to do dance. And so I thought ballet was perfect. And you were so cute in the pink tutu. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> well, why we moms actually put our kids into dance classes. It's all about how you look in photos. That's cute. <laughs> tell ourselves it's to create grace and balance and strength and all that stuff. But really, it's just a pink tutu thing. I remember I actually have a couple photos of that that I had for a while. 
They're, they're cute. They are really cute. You were standing right in the middle and everybody was dancing around you. Those were the years we were doing a lot of travel. So we mm-hmm. didn't actually get to stay for your first recital. No, that was just so disappointing. Everyone was like getting their, their tutus and it was like, okay, fine, we're leaving. <laughs> so you've done all sorts of different dance with different dance schools over the years. Will you tell me a little bit about your dance history? Sure. So I guess the first one was in Kamloops um, when I was a lot younger. And so that was probably a little less ballet, but like we dressed up. And then, um, so that was the first one. And then the second one that I remember was also in Kamloops. I think we did a, like a summer thing. We did this whole cute dance to the song Hello, I think it was. Um, And then... (laughs) We did another one that was like like 19, 1970s dancing. That one was a little interesting, but I don't remember that man's name, but that was, that was a cool dance class. And then since then, when we moved to Nelson, it's been um, a Slava, so like modern jazz, contemporary stuff, and then Sabian Stelio, which has gotten a lot more balletic. So you did a lot of performances at the end of the years, but when we moved here, you probably did dance almost every year and performed at the end of the year. So that's for the last seven years. Um, I think when did we move here? I think it was like when I was 12, 13. So it's been the last six, six years. Lots of moms had their kids in ballet classes and often I'd heard way back that they loved watching their kids in the pink tutus, but the kids weren't as passionate about being exacting in their plies or their positioning of their feet or all the different movements that they didn't find it as fun as say like a contemporary or a jazz or some other form of dance. And so a lot of the kids found it tedious and would complain about ballet. But at what point did you decide that you wanted to pursue ballet and what was the reason for it? I think for a while there, like Slava in particular would always make us take ballet classes. I don't think I liked it back then. Sometimes it really depends on the teacher that you get and how they they kind of put you around that. But I remember, um, I think it was, I was 15, 14, 15, when Stelio had invited me to his um, his kind of performing arts, uh, like a little bit more um, intensive training. And that was kind of when I, I decided I enjoyed it. I never really understood why I liked it. You definitely have to be a certain type of person. Perfectionist is almost in the, the job description. You, you have to be, you first have to like really look at the long, long, long picture. You have to know that you're going to always have to keep on getting better. And that's, this is what you're going to do for your life. You're always going to be trying to be better than you were yesterday. And you're right. If, if you're not really into the small details, ballet is not for you. Yeah, it is very exacting. And that is so interesting for me to watch you because you've had many different interests along the way and all of them, you wanted to be exacting and you wanted to do your very best at it. And you always wanted to outperform whatever you've done already. And that is just hardwired in you. That is unique to you. Early on, I wouldn't have guessed that that would have been your passion or your focus. I wouldn't have known that. It it, it honestly surprises me too, but looking back, it's always been there. You know what I mean? Like it's never been the front runner. Cause I did always think like, I think Stelio actually asked this 
um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Stelios, one of my ballet teachers, he was like, oh, you probably always knew what you wanted to do because he knows that I'm going into a ballet, in ballet school next year. And I'm like, no, no, for the longest while, like I have documented records of me since I was 10 being like, no, it was going to be obstetrics or it was going to be marine biology or I was going to go into some cooking thing. <laughs> but sometimes I even think I really enjoy stuff that isn't planned or that comes out of nowhere. Some part of me doesn't, but the other part of me does. <laughs> I am really excited for you. And what you haven't heard dad and I talk about is that we're really looking forward to when we're sitting in the audience and watching you be part of a ballet company performing on stage. Maybe we'll follow you around Europe if you make it away around Europe. Or you know what, if that isn't the case, we'll be so proud if we are in the audience watching you and it will be so exciting. It'll be bursting out of my seams and probably bawling my eyes out. But also, if that doesn't happen, and you go an entirely different direction, no matter what you do, I'm with you. And I am very excited for you. And I'm super proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I've told this to tell you too, like, I don't 100% know what's going to happen after two years, even if I don't decide to go down it, it'll, it'll be lovely to have an arts degree under my belt as well. You know what I mean? Whatever direction you go, In the words of Henry David Thoreau, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. That's beautiful. I think you said that yesterday. So what are you pointing to on your your bracelet? Oh, I thought this was the one you were going to say. I don't know how this is by, but it was another quote that you gave gave me. Um, Behind you are all your memories. Before you are all your dreams. Around you are all all who love you. Within you all you need. (sighs) I'm excited for you. Whatever you do, we'll be in the audience. Okay, before we finish our conversation, I wanted to ask you, though, quickly, what it's like to live on a homestead, because we have done enough moving around. We built, um, you know, we built this homestead about five or six years ago. We brought baby chicks onto the homestead. We have a giant great Pyrenees that requires a lot of attention and we are about to bring goats into our homestead and we did not grow up in a a rural area. We didn't live in a rural area early on. This morning, you found a dead squirrel in your bedroom because one of the cats brought a dead squirrel in your bedroom. A few weeks ago, one of the cats brought a dead mouse in the bathroom. And you've helped me end a suffering chicken's life a few years ago, which I won't go into details, but let's just say it was traumatic. You had quite an experience this year or these last few years of being on a homestead. What's your experience? It's been quite lovely. Like, I know it's your passion. It was kind of what you started for us. It wasn't particularly mine, but I've loved hanging out with the animals. It makes you kind of go outside more and and be more uh, outdoorsy. Um, The squirrel scared me. I have a pet. Myrtle is just sitting there. You know, she's sitting right behind the squirrel, just staring at me like what I brought in. Like, that's on my route. (laughs) That's pretty scary. Well, I hope we can bring goats, baby goats, to our homestead before you leave. So you can get familiar with a whole different kind of, you know, farming or homesteading experience. We've definitely built the barn this last summer. Time to get a fence and then we get some baby goats. Oh, I would totally hope those come before I leave. 
One of the things that homeschool moms often feel most uncertain about with high school is how am I going to be able to help my kid do this thing? What advice would you give them? To help their child? Um, probably just be open, like just listen to what they want. Because like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to have a great time forcing someone to do something they're not going to want to do. Because surprise, surprise, they're not going to do it. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you can do a page of math and actually do it. But if you don't want to learn it, you won't learn it. Well said. So I guess just being open and listening to what they actually want to do and trying to spin it in a way that you can, you know, give them the math or the English that they they um, should probably get, but in a way that they would take it so they'll actually be interested in achieving it. On my podcast, I usually ask my guests three questions at the end to get to know you differently. Sure. First one, I want to ask you what is on your bookshelf, except that I already know because I've been reading it with you. <laughs> We've been reading The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity by Julia Cameron. What's your experience of this book? She's a lovely writer. Very, very artistic. Like, it's funny that her book is like The Artist's Way, but like her writing is super artistic. Like she uses words I've never even heard of before. So really flowy, but a lot of great stuff in there for sure. She makes you think a little bit more. So for anyone that has like some artistic path they want to go for or artistic hobby, it's a lovely read. Do you have a favorite book outside of the books that we've read together? I have read a couple. Oh, Hunger Games for sure. That whole trilogy or not trilogy. Um, the whole thing. Yeah. I love the movies. I'm not even sure why I enjoy them so much because I'm not really an action person, but Hunger Games all the way. All the books and all the movies. Do you have another favorite movie? Julia and Julia. Julia and Julia, of course. Yeah. Also Legally Blonde, just because. Oh, and just one random question that like nobody ever asks you. But um, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> I wish I could show the picture of your oh. face right now. <laughs> what are you talking about is what that face just said. So... Um, as you've kind of heard, I have a lot of ideas. Like I used to want to be a marine biologist. I thought about going into cooking. Longest time it was medicine. I've, you know, done ballet a lot of my life. Um, so as another person in my life asked that question, my answer consisted in a bit of like for the next two years, I am planning on going into ballet. I think it would be a lovely experience to um, maybe go to Europe and dance in a company and do that. Or um, if I decide that I want to go down medicine, I might um, take a science degree and do four years of a science degree and then go into medicine and possibly do obstetrics. Those are two options. And I've had so many people say, oh, you can do both. And you can, but both is a lot. So I guess we're just going to see where things go. That was a lovely answer. And I ask you that question only because I think it is the most hilarious question to ask someone just leaving high school because the rest of us, even when we're 47 or 52 or 63 are still going, yeah, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I want to dedicate this reading to you. It's from a book called Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. 
But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hack and cracks howl. Onward, up many, a frightening creek. Though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Mm -hmm. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft, and never mix up your right foot with your left, especially as a dancer. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarter percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Ally, Van Allen O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Aww. And I don't really want that. <laughs> what a beautiful way to bookend this <laughs> podcast episode. Cry in the beginning, cry in the end. I love you, Madeline. And thank you for all the memories. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I felt you trying to cry through that whole book reading. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So you're graduating on Saturday officially and wow, what a day that's going to be. Where can we find you online? (laughs) Probably weren't expecting me to ask you that. You have your own IG channel, your Instagram channel for ballet. I do. I don't know if I'll share that. (laughs) You have got a cooking blog that is still on WordPress. Yes, I do. Capturing the Charm Kitchen. The Charm Kitchen, yeah. And you'd even been published. You had an article published called The Mini Medical Residency. Yeah, Mini Medical Me or something. Yeah. It has been a whole different kind of pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for being on today. Thank you. And thank you for joining me today. I would love to learn more about who you are, so come on over to our Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, or the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Instagram page, so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out the book of homeschool encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for extra support, ask me about the Homeschool Mama Retreat. All the show notes and links of this episode will be found at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Until next time, I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And if you're having one of those days, I hope you can reframe your challenges into your homeschool charms.